Hello and welcome to Hustle. If you're listening for the first time, we are a new podcast focused on exploring the business journeys, trials and wins of underrepresented entrepreneurs, as well as discussing business-related news in an engaging way. If you're listening for the first time, thank you so much for downloading our episode. How are you? Really good, thanks. What have you been up to? Well, it was International Women's Day. Yes, happy International Women's Day. Thank you. And happy International Women's Day to all of the women out there. Yes, a big happy International Women's Day. Um, we, we we got up to quite a lot for International Women's Day, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We were in, where were we? We were in the library. Yeah, we were in Woolwich. Yeah. And they had, uh, the library had an amazing um, International Women's Day celebration. If you follow our uh, Instagram feed at Founder Hustle, you'll see all the shenanigans of what happened. But essentially, we had a marketplace of female entrepreneurs. We had um, gong yoga in the morning, which was really relaxing. Mm-hmm. Workshops on building your confidence. My favourite one was the vision board yes. workshop. So we actually created our own vision boards. Absolutely. Did you get to make one of them? I was running around. I was running oh, around no. um, making sure all the other organisers were fine and things ran smoothly. But um, the materials we had in the day were really good, actually. Mm. What else did we have? We had a, a Girls Arise workshop on sort of positive parenting strategies, raising young girls, guiding them through sort of education and positive self-identity, which was really good. Um, and we also had, I did one, I did a workshop. Oh! <laughs> did you not know that? Uh, no, I didn't. From side hustle to business. It, it was really good. How did it go? Great. Um, it was basically based off a lot of women that came there, um, had their side hustles, and I thought... Let's do a workshop on it. Obviously, beforehand, I, I thought let's do a workshop on formalizing a business because lots of people dilly dally in having their side hustles here and there, but they're not too sure how to formalize it. Mm. So we went through um, some interesting points to get them thinking about um, the things t- that they need to consider to, to formalize their business. So I've got to send an email around to quite a few of them tomorrow because I I was reading off information and points like send it to us, send it to us, and I'm such a stickler for following up the emails. Like, I cannot say I'm going to send you something. I don't do it. Mm. I'm the opposite. Oh, I hate people like you. Because do you know what it is? I feel like I'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll send you this, I'll send you that. And for me, it's like really easy to say that, but then to do it is effortful. So so then a lot of people email me back and say, can you send me that thing? Oh, and then no, I'll send it to. to them. No, because if you email me and say, can you send me that? It shows me that you really want it. That's true. So then, no, then, then I'll true. send it to you. But then they didn't have my, well, they didn't have my general contact details. So okay. I thought, no, let me, let, I have to. So, but generally, yeah. if I say I'm going to send it, you're going to get it within two days. Impeccable with your word. I have to, I have to be, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's a great attribute. And so on that vein, what do you love most about being a woman? I love being a woman because I think we're blessed uh, with the amazing ability and responsibility to birth new life. I think you can't get any more beautiful and Mm. precious and um, gifted as that, really, to Mm. birth life. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like the fact that women in this day and age um, and girls are aware of the fact that they're just as able as men, so a bit more confident. And we are aware of our abilities. And we're entering roles and careers which were traditionally male, um, with the confidence to take up those spaces, which is fantastic. Um, and I think the examples of this all around the world, even in countries that haven't been really progressive when it comes to women's rights, we're seeing 
slow examples of changes. And then perhaps on a more superficial level, I mean, we can go from basic to a damsel bombshell with, you know, a lick of makeup, you know, <laughs> new haircuts and some nice shoes and a cute outfit. And we are, I think, beautiful human beings, creatures. Mm. We are, yeah. It's true. It's true. How about you? So I love our ability to, to juggle, mm. to multitask, to wear so many hats. So to be sisters, wives, yes. mothers, friends, confidants, daughters, and daughters, granddaughters, yes. grandmothers, and, 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 and deal with people with love and kindness, but mm-hmm. also have that fierceness yeah and that and that ability to protect our own yeah to create our own yes to you know I like to have feminine energy yeah so a bit of a yin and the yang yeah so, you know when you tap sometimes tapping into your feminine energy is it's really beautiful it is it's really nice and and we it, can also tap into masculine energies yeah, as well yeah and you and you go and and it's back and forth and mm-hmm. men can tap into feminine energy and that's that's a beautiful it thing is. for me to it see is. as well no i think so too um and also i just love kind of connection and kind of being in tune with myself and i think women have really great observational skills yes and listening yeah great listening skills great observational skills our ability to be analytical so we've got a multitude of skills and mm. we come in a range of packages yes and it's great <laughs> no i think so too like, and it's a great time to be a woman as well i'm glad that i'm a woman in yes. 2020 yes as opposed to a woman in the 1900s oh, oh my goodness i mean i think we're blessed yeah we're very blessed in that sense mm. and because it's international women's day we thought it'd be great to do an episode on some women that inspire us in in, in business and more women than ever before now setting up businesses. I mean, the number is unprecedented. Historically, I think women, according to um, Prowess, which is an online hub for friendly women business support, um, they've said on their website that um, historically women made up just one quarter of the self-employed. But since 2008, 58% of newly self-employed have been women, which is absolutely incredible. Um, 2020, that number for sure has certainly increased and there are more, I think, support groups, more networking groups, more women-friendly tribes popping up Mm. to support women that are are in business or want to go into business, which is fantastic. Mm. Mm. So so it's a great time to be a woman in business. Um, It's also kind of an ironic time because despite all these kind of changes that are occurring, mm-hmm. there's nowhere in the world where we're truly equal. Yes. Um, I mean, there's some countries that are doing better than others. So usually you hear good things about kind of Scandinavian yes, countries um, in terms of pay, yes, etc. maternity leave. Yeah. And paternity leave as yeah. well. Yeah, so, so there are some countries that are doing better than others, but nowhere in the world where mm. we can be truly seen as equals yes. in all yes. um, areas. And I think that's probably what inspired the Each for Equal hashtag for International Women's Day this mm-hmm. year. You know, it's just, what can everybody do in this world to sort mm. of work towards that, you know, yeah. gender gap? Um, since we're all equal, although that has not played out really in, in daily yeah. life. And we can be equal and not the same. 
Yes. Yes. And 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 that's totally fine. But it's about mm-hmm. being treated equally, yeah. as opposed to men and women being exactly the same. Mm. We, don't, we don't need to be the same mm. to be treated equally. Mm-hmm. So that's why these kinds of campaigns are really important to highlight that. Exactly. Question: mm. Why do you think um, more women than ever are now setting up businesses? I well, I think with everything, it's the historical context and climate that we're living in now. So mm. now it is a lot easier than it's been before mm-hmm. to 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 start a business, mm-hmm. to go to university. I think traditionally, where how society was set up, where women um, get married, mm. have children, become housewives. And it's quite difficult for them to leave um, marriages or relationships yes. because the male is the one that's working and society had kind of been framed to kind of entrap us. Yeah, so you can't leave a man because he essentially is yeah. feeding you, he's clothing you, he's looking after your children. Yeah. He'd be destitute if yeah, you anywhere yeah. else. Yeah. And, and, and what the sexual revolution of the 60s did was it, it, it kind of created um, a situation where, you know, women could do what they were doing mm. and not have to be tied down. And then, mm. you know, as things changed in the 80s or et cetera with um, education, mm-hmm. women becoming more educated. Yes. And what you do is w- when you become more educated, you, you know, you go into different positions, mm-hmm. higher up positions. But then also it opens up a door of women that can inspire other women to do things on their own yeah so it's kind of like for me and for you I Mm. see that a lot of women have come before so we can have this moment in time absolutely to be able to do that I think women well tired of um (laughs) the pay gap yes tired of being penalized for having a child and Mm -hmm. then coming back into a career and kind of being behind um tired of that just the microaggressions, mm-hmm. the oh, you're just a you're just a woman, you just mm. don't get it. Or even um, I remember I was with an academic a, a while back, and she said to me that she had never um, felt othered or different. Mm-hmm. I think we were talking about in terms of ethnicity, but she said the day I knew I was a little bit different was when I became a I think a senior lecturer, mm. and moved up the university, and the rest of my um, the rest of my team were males mm. and when we would have meetings they had inside jokes because of because they're You're males men. and then, and then she just, said yes. that's kind of one of the first times I felt different or othered and it was very subtle mm. so it wasn't that they were being sexist on purpose or you could even prove it mm. but it was quite underhanded yes and so it's it's things like that we don't want to deal with mm-hmm. uh, workplaces like that mm-hmm. so we create our own workplaces exactly. where we create the culture Absolutely. and we make men and women and whoever else mm-hmm. feel safe oh amazing that's like a lovely spiel that that should be that should be translated somewhere well yeah that's that's why you should set up a business <laughs> to, to to create an environment where everybody feels happy and safe and valued I like um, the fact that you mentioned how historically women were um, oppressed and we're quite lucky now that a lot of women and men have done the work to sort of create environments now where women can be educated to the same level as men, 
where women can enter certain roles that are, you know, traditionally male. And I was, I was reading um, some Virginia Woolf, as you do. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> um, yes. Good old, good old Virginia. And for those of you who don't know, that she's a she's an author. She's a, a famous English writer. She's actually considered one of the most important modernist twentieth century writers. And she has some amazing sound bites and quotes um, that I particularly uh, like. And I'd like to share a couple with you because it just highlights how constrained and challenging it was to be, not just a woman, but a woman with ambition. Mm. You know, that... If no, you, no, nothing more dangerous than a woman with ambition. There you go. In a time where it was just so odd and strange. Um, so the first, the first quote I really like is she said... A woman must have her own money and room if she wants to write fiction. That's true. If you're running around after the kids, after pigs, after the hen, after your husband, everyone and everyone, <laughs> you've got no space to yourself, no time. The kids are following you, you know, 24-7. You need your own space to, to write and create because the mental burden of womanhood is so, it's so heavy. Yeah. Even till today. You know, there's a there's a mental burden in the sense of your your life is divided up into little bits of pieces that people almost they it's how can I put it? It's like you're divided up into pieces where you have responsibilities, lots of different people, lots of different and different things, but rarely any time for yourself. And even if you do have time for yourself, you're going through a checklist. Oh, don't defrost that chicken. Oh, does the the kids have um clean socks? Oh, my boss did ask me to put those things off. Did I do it? Oh, mum said, can I help it? Do you know what I mean? Why do you think women do that, though? Because I don't think men do. No. Because I, I, I don't think men go to bed and think, oh, was, I, <laughs> was I a really good dad today? Did I, did, I, did I make sure I went to that football game? Yeah. Did I make sure that when I went to work, I did this? I feel like when some men go to bed, they just, they just go to bed. Yeah, and I feel like bed. we yeah. ruminate and we say, oh, my baby, my husband, my workplace... Uh, how Friends, I look, how yes, I feel. Yes. What is that? I, 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 sometimes I, I think, is it something that we place on ourselves? Is it something that is inherent in women that we overthink and worry and are a little bit unconfident? Or is it that we have um, absorbed and taken on those stereotypes of what it is to be a woman? So, so like I mean, the perfect mold of a mold, woman exactly, is, is a great caregiver. Is it so a great mm. caregiver for your husband, for your children, mm. Mm. for your friends, your you know your parents? You're you're meant to be the the caregiver, and if you're failing in any of those, you kind of feel oh, maybe subconscious. That's a big indictment on me as a person. I'm more I. The kids haven't hasn't haven't eaten vegetables for a week. Bloody hell! Oh no! That, <laughs> oh god! That's an deficient. That's the problem. <laughs> exactly, but your 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 partner might not know. If your kids have eaten vegetables, if they haven't, will they really care? Well, no, they're alive. If I, do you know, that, do you know what I mean? Oh, but, uh, yeah, because I, I feel like men can be blase. blase, but say like their skills could be highly specialised. So, you know, my partner is really good at cooking dinner. Yes. So, oh, great. That's what he does. That's what he does. But it's almost like the woman, oh, she's got to be good at cooking the dinner. Yes. She's got to be good at the laundry. But she's also got to scrub up well yes. when you want to go out with her because she's got she's got to be fun. Mm. She's got to be smart. But it's pressure, you know, man. And she's got to be all these yes. things. But with a man, oh, he's just a great cook. That's why I, that's why I love yes. him. That's why yes. I'm with him. And still today, I'd say in 2020, if a woman's not fulfilling all of those roles. Society does look like, 
what, but you're you're a mum and you're never in the house. Oh, those ones. You those ones. Yeah. Or you're, you know, um, you've got elderly parents and you're not looking after them. But your partner might have elderly parents and his sisters are looking after them. So he doesn't have that one. You see what I mean? So anyway, um, going on to the next the next uh, quote I like uh, is, I would venture to guess that Anon, who wrote so many poems without signing them, was often a woman. Mm, deep. Yeah. Deep. <laughs> because if a, it was a female name on there, even today, some female authors will not write their names on books. J.K. Rowling. Yes. I mean, we know she's a woman, yes. but, you know. There you go. That's a good example. Mm. Um, women have served all these centuries as looking glasses, possessing the power of reflecting a figure of a man at twice its natural size. Mm. You're really taking me there. I'm taking you there, aren't I? So you do some literary analysis on this, yeah. taking that to A-level English lit. But anyway, um, lock up your libraries if you like, but there is no gate, no lock, no bolt that you can set upon the freedom of mind. I found that quite um, inspirational and empowering. And um, one of my favourites is, is this is this is deep. You'll like this. I am rooted by a flow. How cool is that? That's wicked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am rooted I by a flow. I actually haven't heard that one before. Haven't you heard that one? No, but it's it it's it's quite powerful, isn't it's powerful. it? To be fully rooted, but then flow is you're flexible, flexible. enough to, to flow and and go. But you're strong enough to stay in yes, place. Exactly. And I, but I do think that's a good description of women. Yeah, that's what I think. I think so too. I think so too. I think it's really defiant too. It's like a really defiant statement. And. Mm. Um, so should we get into our list of some business owners? Yes, yes. Yes, that we that we quite like who are women. Um, we have five of them we'd like mm. to share with you. In no particular order. In no particular order at all. And um do 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 a bit of research, you know, on them if you feel that they're really interesting and you want to know a bit more of their stories and, and their lives, because they have interesting lives and I love a good story, not just the business, but it's the it's the why factor, it's the how these people live their lives, mm-hmm. um, and it's beautiful. It's, it's also that learning that we were talking about before, that if you're not able to find your ideal mentor, mm-hmm. find somebody whose story you like and yes. resonates with you and, and find out what makes them tick. Absolutely. Okay, you mm-hmm. ready for my first one? Go on. Madam C.J. Walker. Everybody should know her name. Everybody should know that her name. But they don't. But they don't. Not everybody will. But let me let me break it down. Let me tell you why Madam CJ Walker, for me, is uh, an inspirational female entrepreneur. So she was born Sarah Breedlove in 1867 in Louisiana, which is a southern state in America. And if any of you are history buffs out there, like myself, um, 1865 was when slavery was um, ended in the United States. That was the end of the Civil War. And um, she was born two years after that. So in a huge period of flux. Good timing. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not great, but, but better. Better, better. Than... But her parents were enslaved and her grandparents were. So she's got that traumatic history of mm. being seen as less than because mm. the color of her skin essentially mm, of course um but despite that she's considered one of the 20th century's most successful female entrepreneurs mm. and is often heralded as the first african-american millionaire so this is before oprah winifrey of course yeah. exactly and this was at the, at the turn of the, the 20th century um she built her empire up nothing D- dare i say even one of the first 
yes. millionaires in America. You can see that. If so, you're thinking um, 18, did you say 1865? Yes, 65 slavery ended. Yeah, I, I can't really think of a lot of women that exactly. had million dollar companies or businesses. Exactly, so exactly. Actually, that they earned themselves. That they, they, yeah, that they didn't inherit they from their family. So. Absolutely. Um, her parents, as I said, were former slaves. Um, she was orphaned at the age of seven. Um, and she lived a hard life picking cotton and mm-hmm. being a housemaid and a washerwoman. So really domesticated life. Yeah. Um, however, in 1905, um, she created Madame Walker's Wonderful Hair Grower. And what this grower was, it was like a scalp conditioning and healing formula for, for black hair. And I think marketed mainly at black women. And she had a personal connection with the product. So that's the kind of why, why mm-hmm. factor, why mm-hmm. she set the business. Personal connection. Uh, she started um, to lose her hair and she promoted her um, her products traveling around the country, giving like lecture-like demonstrations and eventually established um, Madame C.J. Walker Laboratories in Indianapolis to manufacture cosmetics um, and train beauty agents, which were called Walker agents. And at one time, she employed 3,000 women. I feel like her business model that she used all those years ago... Mm-hmm could still be viable for somebody who... Because well, there's a few different people that are creating hair, hair products, yes, hair and beauty, beauty for, for, exactly. for the black market as yes, well. Yeah. Um, so it's a good, it is, good it idea. Is. I think so. I think this is this is a good way to... And it's a free as well. So you'll come, come, and come along to this demonstration, come and see how it works. Visual, live, I think that's really engaging. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I, haven't happen, seen I haven't seen that no. happening in the UK. I haven't. I haven't at all. I know maybe there's hair shows and yes. things like that, but, but I don't, don't think I've not seen traveling that. around the UK. No, no Same. I haven't seen that. Anyone's thinking of possibly replicating that, go for it. Mm. Um, she employed 3,000 women in her... She had a factory. Mm. A woman at that age who was... had a, She was an industrialist. If, if mm-hmm. She was a manufacturer. She was, she was big. Um, essentially and she not only um, sold her products in in America but she expanded to Central America and the Caribbean so across the African diaspora essentially in in the early 20th century amazing she's so badass so so bad like so sick do you know what like to the point where you think to yourself somebody who is in up in society where you're seen as less than not even human you don't even have the right to vote Mm. you're living in segregated spaces yet you're still excelling in this way. Um, another reason I like her was that she was really dedicated to her community. Um, she invested a lot of money in many African-American um, sort of philanthropy um, efforts because obviously because of racism um, and the brutality of that, um, many were in poverty. So she contributed to a university called Bethune-Cookman University, which is in Dotana Beach, Florida. It's a HBCU, which stands for Historically Black College and Universities. And she contributed her money to one of I've the first of ones. You heard of it? I've heard of it. I've yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's a documentary about that specific university on Netflix. Oh, really? But I didn't know about her connection to it. She's got a connection but it's a, to yeah, it. Yeah, that's a big university. It is. It's, 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 it's massive. Really, it's doing yeah. it's a really wow. big university. Um, and she was also, she loved the arts as well. So before she died... Um, she was building like like an it's almost like an art center, um, mm. as such. But when she died, it it continued and it opened up. And essentially, what it was was like, oh my goodness, it was like a trucadero. For all of you who are old, oh, older than that, everybody, old, does everybody old. remember trucadero? It was like a trucadero. <laughs> so let let me break it down to you. So what was in it? 
So it had her, it was a company headquarters who had the manufacturing side of the, you know, the, 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 the building doing her products. But you also had um, a beauty school and salon, a fourth floor ballroom called the Grand Casino, a movie theatre, a drugstore, uh, a restaurant, a coffee shop, various professional offices. So it was heavily regarded as the centre of entertainment and business and pride for the city's African-American community from the 1920s to the 1950s. And it was made a historic landmark in 1991 in Indianapolis. Wow. It's still there now. You can you can go and see it. Wow. If that doesn't inspire, I don't know what will. Amazing. I'd be interested to see what her family tree is like now because she had one child, a daughter. Or, or, and, and actually, what's going on with the with the product? Did it yes. get sold on? Yes. Has it, has it got a different name? Know. Where is it? Yeah. I've got to do some research on that. And you've um, got to let us know. Yeah. Should we move on to the next lady? Can I say one thing before we move on? Go on. Um, her, she's, her life is on going to be released on Netflix. So Octavia Spencer... If you know Octavia Spencer, yeah, yeah, she was in yeah. Help. Mm-hmm. She was in Hidden Figures. Um, she is playing her. Um, the, the film um, is called Self Made. I just saw the trailer um, on Netflix and it looks amazing. So check it out. I'll be watching that. Check it I out, honestly. I love Octavia Spencer. She's really, I mean, good. She's really, really, really good. Um, and she, I think she's a, a fitting role. I like the help. Role. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. The book. Oh, girl. The book. The book. Not the book. The film film is good, but the book is on another level. It has feminist undertones as well, because the the writer is a 1950s, she's living in a 1950s young girl that's not interested in getting married like her friend. She wants to write. She wants to be a journalist for the New York Times, I believe. Wow. All her friends around her getting married. So I think I'm going to put that on my book list. Put it on your book list. Put it on my book list. (laughs) Thank you. Next person. So, the next woman, I believe she was living around the same time as Madam C.J. Walker, and her name is Coco Chanel. Hey! We all know Coco Chanel. We do, we do, we do. Do you, do you like the perfume? I do, I do like the perfume. I think it's classic. Um, I can't afford her, her clothes, I can't afford her bags, um, but the perfume does it for me for now. <laughs> so, she was born as Gabrielle... Chanel mm-hmm. in 1883 in France and just do you know what similar to Madame CJ Walker she had a tough life mm. um well a little, little bit different but at the age of 12 her mother died mm. and her father put her in an orphanage wow so there's something about a story of struggle yes not having very much mm. and then creating an empire from that I, wow. I, I find that ultimately very aspiring probably very motivational yeah and really interestingly she was raised by nuns and they were the wow. ones who taught her how to actually sew and so this was the skill that kind of led her to her life's work mm. um so she's got a very very interesting background and mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. um and i think at the age of 20 she met a gentleman called etienne and he helped her start one of her first businesses wow and then later on she met another man who helped her once again start you know so were they investors were they love interests they were they were they were lovers and investors you okay. know friends okay. friends of ben- like official friends of benefits. official friends of benefits. But there was real benefits here <laughs> yes. financial benefits and what was etienne and the and the other guy that she met within the fashion industry did they have those sort of links and i, I think they were in 
they were wealthy men. So I think okay. at the time in kind of that Paris aristocracy type okay. thing, everybody knows everybody and high yes. fashion. So they, they she was good at networking. And removed from her world because she wasn't bought up in wealth. Yeah, she? so it's it's kind of amazing how she's yes. ended up in those circles. But it's, it's I mean, it's a real testament to her. And she opened up her first shop in 1910 where she started out selling hats. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up having two more stores. And then she began making clothes, um, which ultimately she used to make her own clothes and Mm -hmm. people used to comment on that. And so that's how she kind of got her start. And she says, I I love this quote, my fortune is built on that old jersey that I'd put on because it was was cold in DeVille. So she basically made this jersey dress because she was cold. Yes. And it became kind of like a cult classic. And it it was. was what catapulted her to uh, ultimately being one of the biggest names in fashion Mm -hmm. uh, while she was alive and after she died. And, I mean, really kind of interesting things such as being friends with Pablo Picasso. She has a colourful life. And I I know there's there's one or two things that um, might be, you know, kind of deemed negative. So Mm -hmm. there's there's a Nazi occupation kind of story going on there. But ultimately, when we're looking at business, mm-hmm. creating a brand, building mm-hmm. a brand, mm-hmm. sustaining a brand. Till today. Till today, mm-hmm. being seen as a, a valuable, luxury um, items brand. Yeah. And coming from a girl that lost her mother at 12, mm-hmm. we, we, you you have to go on a list. Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, and you know the phrase LBD. You go at LBD? I got LBD. I got yeah. LBD, of And course. there's that one other thing that everybody loves to say. A girl should be two things, classy and fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and you can imagine that, that time in Paris when, you know, the brand was developing and becoming famous. What a, what, like, have you been to Paris before? Yes. Like, just think maybe like a hundred years ago, how kind of oh. like, like, chic. Really chic and, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, like, I like, do you know what, there's classic things. I think some, you know, the classic kind of sailor, yes. sailor top that she made popular the pearls, yes. the suit. So these are really, she, she kind of almost kind of... And masculinized. You know, masculinized yes. that, that, that suit. So yes. whenever I see a woman in a tux type of suit, I think of Chanel. Yeah. There's there's a lot of things that she did that was very innovative and, and different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, she goes on the list. Amazing. Number three. Uh, we thought that a lady that's not quite well known, but I think should be known and to be fair, Google actually did a doodle of her, um, I think in 2018, which I was really surprised about. Um, her name is called Esther Afua Oklo. Uh, she was born in 1919. So she was alive around, you know, the same time as Coco de Chanel and um, uh, Madame C.J. Walker. And she died in 2002. And she was she was a Ghanaian entrepreneur um, who I'd say almost was a manufacturer. And she was a pioneer of micro-lending, which was ma- mainly known today as sort of giving small um, loans in order to stimulate businesses, which today helps particularly a lot of women business owners in developing countries start businesses and become independent. And she was a pioneer of that. But just moving on more to her sort of manufacturing side, one of the reasons why I like her is that she was the first person to start a formal food processing business in Ghana. 
and she built up the business by supplying marmalade and orange juice to um, schools and, and various um, organisations. And at the time, if you think about Africa, at that time was still under British rule. Um, even till today, um, many African countries import a lot of things. They don't actually manufacture anything, which is a big problem that many governments are trying to to address. She she was a woman that actually started making products um, in in Ghana, and she, educationally she was the first of many to see African women at, at her age and, and her time um, to go and study in England um, from 1949 to 1951, where she obtained a cooking diploma from the Good Housekeeping Institute um, and a postgraduate food preservation course. Um, and she was one of the first women of African descent to actually achieve that, which was which was fantastic. Uh, I have to say, to, to to be honest, she worked really hard at expanding her business um, after traveling to England at a time where most men were going to study abroad. So you hear a lot of stories of men from you know, Commonwealth nations, and uh, Commonwealth being um, the countries that Britain formerly ruled over going to the UK to study, you rarely heard of women going. It's usually men that would go, they would study and come back to their countries to improve it. Or they would take, they would send for their wives. Well, I'll tell you what, in 1949, you'd have to pay me a lot of money to come here to study. <laughs> Rainy I'm England. I'm not doing it. I know. I'm not she doing it. She must have felt this place is so cold and dull and grey and raining. Yeah, she must have thought a lot of things, but it just is a testament to her character. I think so. And it, and it is and it is those things that people that go outside of their comfort zone that are mm-hmm. willing to 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 do these things that have such amazing lives. They do absolutely, and, and reap the benefits and the rewards of that. For sure, and she was very close to Ghana's first um prime first prime minister, but Kwame Nkrumah. Those of you know him very famous um, pan-Africanist and uh, she support he supported her in her um, business to make her more proud of its products so she coined this phrase of made in Ghana uh, which is which is fantastic and even today um, I think the government has an agenda buying Ghanaian goods producing Ghanaian goods and industrializing so I think a lot of that those ideas has its visions in her work and then lastly just to touch on her sort of um investment in women she was a, a business owner but she also tried to inspire other women to go into business as well so um she promoted the availability of credit to women with small loans known as microcredit, to stimulate their ability to find to find businesses so she was um key in sort of establishing um various organizations like the women's world banking group from 1979 to 1985 where she was its first chairman of board directors um she won um the 1990 african prize for leadership and numerous other honors um in helping women set up businesses so they could become independent take care of their families and really go for what they um, believed in she's quite an assuming woman do you know what i mean she wasn't you know sometimes you see people when you make assumptions oh of course very strong and confident business owner but she was just quite a you know quite a religious unassuming woman that you wouldn't think has links to you know parliament and the president of Ghana and all these associations or was a pioneer for women's microcredit at all so 
I hadn't heard of her, mm. but just hearing about her and that you were talking about the microloans and mm-hmm. lending, mm-hmm. it makes me think of I forget the gentleman's name, but there's a there's a Bangladeshi man, yes. the Grameen, yes. the Grameen banking. Yes, so yes. it seems like actually, and that was the kind of like the the initial beginnings of what we would call a social enterprise. Yes, yes. So and, and, and those kinds of mod that social yes. um sort of like social model of banking. Yes, yes. And so she's doing that. A lot earlier than him. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's quite interesting. She actually. was one of the pioneers, pioneers of that. Of yeah. So I think she saw if you if you're in a developing com- country, you see the status of women, and you see what business has done for you. You want to share that with the mm. world. You want to help other women, not just in your own country, but across particularly the developing world, be empowered to make their own money. Yeah, so highlighting the impact that she has had on microfinancing. Yes, I think that. Now that I know about that, she should really be recognised yes, for that as well, exactly. in addition to the other things. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's good for me to know that now. because you, you need to Google her. I'll, I'll bring that into the conversation now. Amazing. Esther Afua Oklo is her name. Google recognised her, I think in 2018, with her own doodle poll to say that we recognise this woman. Thank you for all your amazing work. Do you know what? I love those Google Doodle posts because there's lots of people that I know nothing about. Oh my goodness, I was and, and, they, and they bring you, yes. and they bring something new to your attention. So I love that they have that feature. And they and I would find that a lot of the people that they put on there, different people from different backgrounds. Oh yes, I, I would think. Yeah, don't no, know how I, I would say so. I would so, say so, so too. So it's really it's really nice to see. And so moving on to our fourth lady, I thought I'd go a little not, well, not different. But I thought, let's look at somebody who's... Actually, it's kind of almost in the similar vein because it's... Yes. It's... it's um, and to, to Madam C.J. Walker and to Chanel because it's somebody who started off life as a model. Mm-hmm. So it's Iman. Yeah. So famous, she doesn't need a last name. She doesn't. She's just the face. So we she doesn't call say her... Iman Bowie, does she? Just yeah. Iman. Yeah, you, yeah. You just say Iman. And so she is a Somali-born model and actress she was discovered while she was a university student at the University of Nairobi by a photographer called Peter Beard. And through the 70s and 80s, she's one of the first black African women that is modelling for Yves Saint Laurent. She's on mm. Vogue. She's on mm-hmm. Harper's Bazaar. She's mm-hmm. changing. She's, mm-hmm. she's changing what it means to be defined mm-hmm. as beautiful. You know, going on from the very Eurocentric features to somebody who is black, somebody who is African, and but has Eurocentric features too. Though I have to say, she well, she does. But if you think about, you know, how many black faces there were on oh, Harper's Bazaar yes. and Vogue at the time, it was probably her and Naomi Campbell, really. Yeah, but she's even a, she's a long time before Naomi Campbell, so she's seventies mm. and eighties. Yes, in the seventies and eighties, you're not seeing much many. Yes, at very all. true. So she is going to be one of the first representations of um, African beauty. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it's because um, Africa's a continent, yes. So anybody from there is going to look different to the other person. So mm. there's, there's not one true representation of no, African beauty. It's diverse. It's diverse, but she was there as a beginning mm. to let other people in. Yes. I don't know if you know the model Alex Weck. I know Alex Weck, yeah. So, so, Sudanese so, model. Sudanese model. And yes. then there's um, 
Right, I can't think of any at the moment. I don't know if there's because <laughs> there's a lack of them or I what, just you mean don't African know. models? Yeah. Oh, there, there, there's a lot, especially newcomers coming so up. Some newcomers, yeah. but let's just say she paved the way yeah, yeah, for, for, for that for to happen. Models. And mm-hmm. Yves Saint Laurent um, kind of devoted a line to her called the African Queen. You know, it's like, um, not particularly original. No, and and and, <laughs> and I think now now that I look at it in 2020, I'm kind mm-hmm. of like, well, actually, what's that about? Why can't she be? A queen. A queen. She yes. doesn't need to be African queen. Yes. But I guess it's that kind of exotic, etc. Yes. Et and being et othered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but what I really love about her is she starts her cosmetic line in 1994. But nobody talks about it though. So Iman was one of the first, um, what one of the first cosmetic, um, what do we call that? Brands. Brands. Yeah. Specifically tailored. For black women and I, I, rem- I remember I saw this interview with her where she said basically the beauty industry said to her black women do not wear liquid foundation mm. and she said what do you mean they don't wear liquid foundation and and, and 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 essentially her brand started from that and she talks about in her 25 years of business etc she talks about the difficulties she's had with distribution right mm. at the beginning or they would put her beauty products right at the back of the store because that's the ethnic section mm. so she had to go through a lot so newer people like Fenty, Fenty could do could, could do, do the great do. work so she kind of pioneered for that to mm-hmm, happen mm-hmm. um by going through her going through her difficulties but what I really love is she's not just a beautiful face or a model she has a brain and has a business yes. and used used the platform mm to create her yes. own and to create it for her people. Yes. So she also um, is quite socially minded as well. She has a lot of charity um, and helping young girls achieve their dreams, essentially. So I think she's mm. an amazing, um, amazing individual who we forget has created a contribution to the business world. Mm-hmm. And, com- and comes from a refugee G background. background. Exactly. So a lot of these people have come from a struggle. Yes, that's a trend. Mm. I don't think we deliberately picked them because of that. No, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, moving on. Number five. Mm-hmm. Who is number five? It's Nadia Hussain. We all know Nadia. We, well, if you don't know Nadia Hussain, she uh, was the winner of the Great British Bake Off. What year was that? In 2015, I think. I think. Don't quote don't, us. Don't quote us on that. Um, but one of the reasons why I really like Nadia Hussein is because, again, a story. Um, she talks quite openly about her life and growing up and not feeling particularly beautiful or productive or that she was really good at anything. Well, I would say low self-esteem and confidence. And since winning the Bake Off, I've seen her grow and blossom into somebody who's quite confident, who's coming to herself, um, who's publishing amazing books involving documentaries. Um, she's speaking also quite openly about her mental health challenges and supporting mental health charities. Um, she does radio shows. Um, she's been um, in sort of given the um, heavy responsibility to bake cakes and food for like the Queen. Did she do the Queen's cakes or something, something did, to the royal family? Did she do the royal wedding? I oh no! She no, did. not the royal wedding. It was she, what someone something associated with the royal family, like a jubilee, yeah, or, or something. something like that. I yeah. mean, 
from somebody who just saw herself probably as just oh I'm a mother and I just like kind of baking like experiment here and there to winning it what it's done for her life has been really inspiring and what it's made her feel that she can achieve has been beautiful to see that you know I'm I'm now a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. You know I have and I a, think, yeah I have book deals, I have TV deals, I do documentaries. I um you know advocate for charities, but I'm still Nadia Hussein, who's a beautiful soul. I couldn't in have my said opinion. It, no, like I couldn't have said it better myself. And also, I feel that she hasn't changed yes. or tried to fit in mm-hmm. with what people might. Uh, what the audience might want, what they might like. She's a Bengal, she's a Bangladeshi um, woman. Mm-hmm. She's Muslim. Yes. She's adhering to her religion. Mm-hmm. She's adhering to whatever her, her culture is. Yes. Her marriage, her family. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she has a life. Yeah, and she's juggling those yeah. things. And from I, the outside, I see quite well. I don't know. Uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I but, mean, yeah. You never know what's going on inside, but I think from the outside, she's a great role model for any. But for, I mean, for any woman, mm-hmm. but in particular, young Bangladeshi ladies that yes. might see themselves yes. in her. Exactly. And I think it's great to have um, more diverse role models like that because I, I, I'm not familiar with any other Bangladeshi um, women that are at the forefront in the media mm. they, that doesn't mean they don't exist yes. I'm just saying I'm not aware of it's them it's not in the public sort of consciousness yeah. so um, it, so at it, the moment I, I, and I love to see a hijabi on loose women yes it's nice to actually see it somebody is. that you see down the high street exactly speaking of hijabis um, I went to the Greenwich Business Awards um, recently and the organisation I think that won like sort of, is it best was it social enterprise? I think it's a social enterprise um, category. Was um, a organisation? I think it's called a fire, and they help many sort of missing women through um, helping them get into business or products. It's also a huge networking community as well, and they, they they won, and they all came. I think about three or four of them were there. Hijabis, but also uh, one lady was wearing um, the burqa. I think actually the the founder of it in full glory, in pride, happy that she showed up the way that she was. And I was happy that she showed up the way that she did and didn't mm. feel the need to conform. So I thought, you know what, this is amazing. We need more, I think, Muslim women out there in the public consciousness just saying, you know, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm proud of who I am. But I'm also a great business owner. I'm also a great mm. teacher. Mm. I'm a great doctor yeah. or whatever. So, so not trying to fit in to be more accepted but they mm-hmm. accept themselves and, yes. and and that's the most important thing i think when you accept yourself first that that, 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 that struggle is really done like anywhere you go you're confident enough to show up your true authentic self yeah so yeah. big up the hijabi community exactly do you want to run down the um, run down top five we did really quickly just so our listeners can look up anybody in particular that they want to sort of research on or, or read more about yep so it's Madam C.J. Walker. Walker, Coco, Coco Chanel, Chanel, Esther Afua Oklo, Iman, and then lastly, uh, Nadia Hussein. There's probably hundreds of women that hundreds, we could have picked. Hundreds. Um, but I, I think 
these these were the ones that stood out to me exactly and i'm sure there's many in your local communities that you know about as well and i think now's the opportunity to encourage them to big them up um as we say let us know who they are you can tell us um on our instagram page at founder hustle or email us at podcasthustle at gmail.com we'd love to know who are some of the female business owners that inspire you and also how did you spend international women's day um as well Thank you for tuning in to uh, this episode and stay tuned for our next one shortly.